Mystery of the Stone Tiger, Chapter 12 Tiger Hunt Startled, Louise gasped. The driver of that car looks just like Emil Gifford. The man apparently recognized the Dana girls and stepped on the accelerator. His automobile roared off down the street. Oh, if only we had our car, Jean groaned. Of course, I'm not positive it was Emil, Louise pointed out, but he certainly resembles him. The man certainly took off in a hurry, Jean pointed out. That could mean he's guilty. Both girls had noticed the license number and memorized it. Louise suggested that they go inside the Hillary Museum and phone Irving's auto repair service. We'll ask Mr. Irving if that is Emil's number, she said, and also if he knows whether or not his mechanic is back in Oak Falls. They rang the bell, and Mr. Pryor admitted them, greeting the sisters cordially. I'd like to use your phone if I may, Louise said quickly. Help yourself. She hurried to the hall table and dialed. When she spoke to Mr. Irving, he was amazed to hear that Emil Gifford might be in town. I can't remember his license number, but the one you just mentioned sounds like it. The garage owner then burst into a tirade against his former employee and ended by saying, He'd better come around here and repay the money he took from the cash register. If he thinks he's going to get away with it, he is mistaken. Louise learned that Mr. Irving had called the police to notify them of Emil Gifford's disappearance and to request that a search be made. We'd like to talk to Emil ourselves, the young detective said. I'll let you know if the police find him, Mr. Irving promised. By the way, your car is ready. When will you come for it? Louise said she and her sister would stop at the garage on their way home. We'll certainly be glad to have our car again, she said. We've been lost without it. When Louise returned to Jean and Mr. Pryor, she found them discussing the mystery surrounding the Hillary's. I've been double-checking the doors and windows every night before I leave, the curator told the girls. Besides, the police have been patrolling here more often. Maybe that black-robed ghost, whoever the museum intruder is, will give up. Louise and Jean secretly did not agree, but made no comment. Mr. Pryor went on bemoaning the fact that the museum attendants remained at a standstill. If that mysterious person was trying to discourage people from coming here, he certainly succeeded. What a shame, Louise remarked, thinking that it would not be long before the Hillary's would be forced to close the museum. It contained such a worthwhile and informative display. She felt that would be a real loss to Oak Falls and the surrounding area. As the sisters left the old mansion, Louise suggested that they stop at Elise's house. When the young woman opened the door, she said, Oh, I'm so glad you came. I'm terribly worried. Has something else happened? Louise asked, concerned. Elise nodded. In a whisper, she told the Danas that her mother's condition had worsened. I was up with her all night. In spite of the medicine the doctor left for her, she couldn't sleep and hasn't eaten anything since supper time last evening. She acts dreadfully nervous. Louise and Jean, do you think your Aunt Harriet could come over again? I'm sure it would do Mother a lot of good, and maybe it would last us until you all come to stay. 
I'm sure Aunt Harriet would be happy to, Louise replied, and telephoned her aunt at once. Miss Dana readily agreed, saying she would be at the cottage in a little while. But, she added, you girls must come home and stay with your Uncle Ned. You know he's leaving tomorrow. We'll be right home, Louise promised. As the sisters left the estate, they met Aunt Harriet, who had just stopped, stepped off the bus. She carried a brown paper bag and told the girls that she was taking a jar of homemade broth to Mrs. Hillary. There's nothing like good beef and vegetable broth to bring back one's strength, she told the Danas. Louise and Jean smiled, recalling how many times their aunt's delectable cooking had made them feel better. They said goodbye and went to the Irving's Auto Repair Service. When the Danas saw their car, they exclaimed with pleasure, The old wagon looks like new, Jean bubbled. You're a magician, Louise said happily. Then she became serious. Did the police have any report on Emil Gifford? None at all, but they're looking for him. He sure is in a lot of trouble. The girls drove home, and after putting the car in the garage, entered the kitchen. Cora greeted them with a relieved smile. Thank goodness you're back, she said. Your Uncle Ned brought some oysters and wants stew for lunch. I've never made oyster stew in my life. Besides, I don't want to touch those squishy little things. They're alive, you know. So I understand, said Louise, repressing a grin. If you weren't alive before the shells were opened, you couldn't eat them. Cora at last succeeded in digging the oysters out of their shells and then sat looking out at them blankly. How do you kill him then? she asked, staring helplessly. Louise and Jean could not help laughing. You just did, said Louise. Now melt some butter, pop in the oysters, letting them simmer, add milk and seasoning, and cook slowly. And that's it. Cora gave a little cry of dismay. Not me, she said. I got ironing to do down cellar. You fix the oyster stew. Louise and Jean could say, could say a word. How do you kill him? She asked, staring helplessly. Louise and Jean could not help laughing. You just did, said Louise. Now melt some butter, pop it on the oysters, letting them simmer, add milk and seasoning, and cook slowly, and that's it. Cora gave a little cry of dismay. Not me, she said. I got ironing to do down cellar. You fix the oyster stew. Before Louise and Jean could say a word, the maid whipped open the cellar door, slamming it behind her, and dashed below. The sisters, giggling, prepared the stew and the rest of the luncheon. In low voices, they told the episode about Cora and the oysters to Captain Dana, who chuckled heartily. Good thing that gal was never stranded on a desert island. She'd starved to death. As soon as the three finished eating, Jean told her uncle, Now that we have the car back, how about a ride? Would you like to see the woods where we met the tiger? If that's where me hearties would like to take me, Uncle Ned answered, we can imagine we're on a trip along the gang's river. The girls laughed, put on their coats, and soon the three Danas were traveling along the highway. Louise was at the wheel. When she came to the field from where the sisters had entered the woods with the dog, Mickey, she stopped. 
Want to scoot in and take a look, Uncle Ned? She asked. After a moment's consideration, the captor replied, I've been through some rough seas and dangerous times. I guess one old tiger shouldn't keep me below decks. It was Uncle Ned's youthful spirit which particularly endeared him to his nieces. Before adventurous, being adventurous themselves, the girls liked nothing better than to be setting out on a dangerous mission with him. Louise locked the car door, put the keys on her handbag, and the three hurried across the field and plunged into the woods. They followed the trampled-down path they had made before, and soon came to the spot where they had seen the tiger. Here we are, Louise said, looking around, but no growling beast to show you. Uncle Ned chuckled. I can't say I'm disappointed. Suddenly, Jean, who had stepped on the path, exclaimed, This is strange. What? Louise asked. Her sister pointed to one of the large trees. Thrust into the trunk was a sculptor's chipping tool. That's very odd indeed, Captain Dana remarked. Why would anyone have left such a tool here? His nieces shrugged, but their thoughts were whirling. Both of them recalled that Mr. Abdul, who told Miss, Mrs. McGregor he was going for a walk in the woods, was it possible he owned the chipping tool? Do you think, asked Jean, that Mr. Abdul could be a sculptor? He's mysterious enough to be anything, Louise replied. Uncle Ned suggested that none of them touch the chipping tool, but perhaps leave it and report it to the police. It may have revealing fingerprints. The three Danas quickly returned home and reported their find to the authorities. It was nearly supper time before Aunt Harriet returned. Louise and Jean were helping Cora prepare the meal. How is Mrs. Hillary? Louise asked her aunt. After we talked for a while, she seemed much more cheerful and alert, Miss Dana answered. She begged us to come here as soon as we could. I told her we'd arrive sometime the day after tomorrow. Despite the many puzzles on the girls' minds and the forthcoming call on Mr. Archer, the supper hour was a jolly one, and the family spent a delightful evening together. They went to bed fairly late. Not long afterwards, they were aroused by the ringing of the telephone. Captain Dana and his nieces met in the second-floor hall, all intending to answer it. As they passed Aunt Harriet's door, they could hear her saying on her bedroom extension, Hello, who is it? There was a long pause. The next moment, the others were surprised when Miss Dana opened her door and beckoned to them. She whispered, Come in and listen. It's something horrible. Chapter 13 The Buried Curse Mystified, Captain Dana and the girls tiptoed after Aunt Harriet to the telephone in her bedroom. From the receiver came a cacophony of eerie sounds. They seemed to be a mixture of weird flute music and wild animal cries. What in thunderation is going on? Uncle Ned whispered. Nobody has spoken yet over the wire, she, she said. Sounds like someone having a bad nightmare, Jean murmured. Suddenly, Louise dashed from the room and ran down into Uncle Ned's den. 
She snapped on the light, grabbed up the battery-powered tape recorder he kept there, and returned to Aunt Harriet's room. Placing the machine close to the telephone, she began to record the sounds still coming from the wire. They might prove to be a clue in the mystery. Chills went up and down the spines of the listeners as a hyena laughed, a lion roared, and a big cat, probably a tiger, spit and hissed. Then abruptly the sound ceased. There were a few moments of dead silence as the family waited tensely. Finally they heard a clipped British-accented voice command. Danus, stop prying, or evil will befall you. A buried curse has been put on you because of your interference in the Oak Falls mystery. The listeners heard a click. Whoever had made the phone call had hung up. Louise shut off the tape recorder, and the Danas stared at one another in stunned amazement. Finally, Jean said, That voice might have been Mr. Abdul's. The others agreed that they had... But why had he used this strange introduction to his warning? I never heard of a buried curse, said Louise. Does anybody know what it is? No one did, and it was decided they would have to wait until morning to find out. It's past midnight, Aunt Harriet observed. I think we'd better go back to bed. Louise and Jean were so excited by this latest episode in the mystery that they could not fall asleep at once. For nearly half an hour, they discussed the who and what and why of the odd telephone call. They could not figure it out, but any event... It was obvious the caller's purpose had been to discourage them from further work on the case. Jean yawned. One thing is for sure, that man is afraid of us, Louise, which is flattering. We must be better sleuths than I gave us credit for, Louise answered sleepily. Uh-huh. I can't wait for morning to come. Well, good night again. All the Danas were up early and had breakfast in their bathrobes and slippers. They finished eating by 7.30. How do you suppose finding out what a buried curse is? Uncle Ned asked his nieces. Louise said she had no idea. It might be some kind of Indian superstition. I'll telephone Elise and ask her if she knows. Great, said Jean. Please call her right away. I'm terribly curious. And I'm terribly worried about this whole thing, Aunt Harriet added. Captain Dana gave a grunt and then in a centurion voice declared, Whoever this mysterious person may be, I believe he is a coward. Thieves and evildoers in general are cowards. He looked affectionately at his nieces. I think me hearties here have got this rascal backed into a corner. The girls smiled, their appreciation, and each gave him a resounding kiss. Then Louise went to the telephone. Elise answered, and when Louise put her question, the young girl gasped. Oh, Louise, I don't like this at all. A buried curse is a practice among superstitious natives of India. I have heard that there are many cases on record where people have cast an evil spell on someone, and it has worked. Surely you don't believe such things? Louise asked, astonished. Elise replied that after living in India for some time, 
one got the feeling that all sorts of strange and unexplained tricks were played on people's minds. Some of the astrologers and the soothsayers have great influence, almost like hypnotism. Do you think our unknown caller last night was trying to cast a spell on us? Louise asked. I'm not sure what he had in mind, Elise answered. I suggest that you go look in your yard, and if there are any newly dug spots, the curse may be buried there. Buried in our yard, Louise repeated. Elise explained that one of the requirements of the curse was that it be placed near the dwelling of the person threatened. Please look and call me back, she requested anxiously. Louise returned to the table and told her family what Elise had suggested. Let's go, Jean urged. In our pajamas and robes, Aunt Harriet asked, raising her eyebrows. Captain Dana chuckled. What a difference does that make? If any so-called curse has been put upon this house, the sooner we know about it, the better we can deal with it. Though the morning was crisp, the Danas were too excited to notice the chill. They rushed pell-mell out the kitchen door and began searching in the backyard. Not far from the garage, Jean discovered a freshly dug patch of earth. Here it is, she exclaimed excitedly and dashed into the garage for a shovel. The others gathered around her and noticed breathlessly as she quickly began digging. Not far from below the surface, she unearthed two round objects. One was covered in dark hair and the other was blonde. Carefully, Jean lifted one in each hand and held them up. The onlookers cried out in astonishment. The objects were two wax heads. They were stuck full of pins and rose bush thorns, but there was no mistaking their identity. Those faces are Louise's and Jean's, Aunt Harriet exclaimed, horrified. Ah, I, I guess we've found the buried curse, Louise shuddered slightly. Uncle Ned looked grim. I'm going to call the police, he said, and hurried into the house. Miss Dana and their nieces now began to feel cold, partly because of the low temperature and partly because of the shock. They returned to the house, and Jean gingerly carried the odd wax heads. She set them on the kitchen table, and at that moment the door, the doorbell to the back door rang, and Aunt Harriet opened it to admit Cora Apple. Good morning, the maid stopped short and stared ahead. Then Cora gave one of her outlandish screeches. Pointing at the heads on the table, she cried out, What, what are those things? See any resemblance? Jean could not resist asking. It's you and your sister, Cora cried out. You don't have to tell me any more. I just know something terrible is going to happen to you. When it was explained that the wax likenesses had been found in the backyard, Cora began to walk in circles, wringing her hands. Now calm down, Aunt Harriet begged her. We're going to. Miss Dana stopped speaking and began to sniff. Something's burning. Automatically, those in the kitchen turned towards the stove. In dismay, they saw that Cora had set her handbag close to the tea kettle, under which was a low flame. The leather bag was smoldering. Louise, nearest the stove, grabbed the bag. Cora looked at it forlornly. The bad luck's following me, too, she exclaimed, and burst into tears. 
I'll buy you another pocketbook, Aunt Harriet told the distraught girl. And now, suppose you take off your coat and get to work. Louise telephoned Elise Hillary and told her what it, they had found. I'm not surprised, Elise said. That fellow, that follows exactly the old Indian custom of burying curses. It means to cast an evil spell on those whose faces are wrought in the wax. The two girls continued to discuss the situation, Louise remarked. I've thought all along that the person responsible for creating this mystery is looking for something. I believe he's afraid Jean and I have found it first. Well, I certainly would like to be the very first one. I hope you can, said Elise. But do be careful. This person seems to be growing more dangerous. In a short while, two police arrived at the house. Since the girls and Aunt Harriet had gone upstairs to dress, Uncle Ned talked to the officers. He gave them the tape recording of the phone call and the two wax heads. The men told Captain Dana that no Mr. Abdul had been found in or near town, but the men might be using an, an assumed name and moving from one spot to another. Also, no prints had been found on the chipping tool. At 9.30, the sisters and their aunt left the house to keep their appointment with Mr. Archer at the newspaper office. The minute that the Danas were shown into his private office, Louise and Jean knew he would be difficult to convince. The news owner's manners was cold. The girls were sure that any requests they might make regarding Keith Bartlett would not be received in a friendly way. They decided to leave the whole matter to Aunt Harriet, since Mr. Archer had smiled flatteringly at her. Miss Dana now stepped forward. Tom, you and I are very proud of Oak Falls, she said, in what her nieces thought were honeyed tones. I used to be, Mr. Archer answered shortly. Why not now, Miss Dana pursued. You have a fine reputation, and have built up an excellent newspaper. You wouldn't want all this to change, surely. Mr. Archer frowned as if he were extremely annoyed, pounding the desk and glaring at his visitors. I want you to go away, he shouted. Leave me alone. What will Oak Falls care when I'm gone? A crafty look came into his eyes. But the more money I can get into my estate, the better for my heirs. Now go. I, I, I. Suddenly Mr. Archer toppled forward over his desk.